This is Courtney Gaines Malachi from Children of the Corner. You're listening to Now Playing Podcast. Let us give thanks to he who walks behind the rose, who protects our crops. The God of sacrifice. The God who walked on the face of the earth. He who walks behind the rose. speak to me in my dreams and God has told me that it is now our time time to make sacrifice time to kill welcome to now playing's children of the corn retrospective series it is written a leader will come from the corn part of the now playing Stephen King movie review series I offer this to he who walks behind the rose Hosted by Stuart. This is my game. I've played it before and on better courts than yours. Jacob. He thought he had great spirit. And Arnie. Question me not, Malachi. I act according to his will. Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new movie review based on the works of Stephen King. I've read the book, and for the first time in my life I know my purpose. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Did your mother teach you how to talk like that? Only when your name came up. Listener discretion is advised. The time of judgment is now at hand. Let the harvest begin. Outlander! We have your podcast! Discussing Children of the Corn 5... Fields of Terror, starring Stacy Galena, Alexis Arquette, Eva Mendez, Greg Vaughn, Fred Williamson, Kane Hodder, and David Carradine. Other than the star, I know everybody here. Directed <laughs> by Ethan Wiley. The outsiders call me a monster, a lunatic, but I'm none of these things. I'm just Arnie, the co-host of Now Playing. Stuart in L.A., and this is he who podcasts behind the rose with his blow-up dolls, Jacob. <laughs> you can stay behind the rose with those. <laughs> I don't want to see it. How will you know how to get to the podcast if you don't follow their trail? I was watching that trail. I knew that we were headed somewhere when I saw those pop up. Yeah. I just need to start by saying, though, this movie should be called Field of Screams. <laughs> this movie was called, during production, Field of Screams. Some marketing asshat at Dimension Films, in his wisdom, decided Fields of Terror was a better title for release. He was wrong. Well, it's easy to see why they did that. I mean, Dimension is a part of Miramax, and what else did they have going on in 1998? Scream movies! You can't have the ripoff sound like the real thing. I'm not thinking Scream with Field of Screams. Yeah, Kevin Costner, Field of Dreams. Yeah. Oh, you're, you're thinking of a playoff of a baseball movie 10 years old and not the horror hit of the time, but that's what anyone would be thinking. If you called something Field of Screams in 1998... They're still thinking Kevin Costner. No, they're not. Not with this cast, not with these hipsters and this 90s soundtrack, no way. That's true, this movie is coming out in 98, and all of a sudden, this movie is suddenly about a bunch of teenagers driving through Nebraska, a bunch of sexy-looking teenagers, plus Alexis Arquette, 
and not about a bunch of farmers being killed by their kids. Yeah, a wise choice. It's a tried and true formula. You can't avoid it. Eventually, we had to get this. We've had several people on the road detoured and stopped in a town full of killer children. The fact that this time it's quote-unquote teens. They were supposed to be teens in this? I don't know how old (laughs) they're supposed to be, but I do know who they are. Most of this cast are people that we've covered before in other movies and had something to say about. And that's fun. Again, I always enjoy it if we're going through a series like Children of the Corn that we dig out old friends and see how they're doing. Yeah, I thought these people were probably college students, maybe of the 21, 22-year-old variety. Later on, it's revealed Eva Mendez's character is 17. <laughs> yes. That took me a little off guard. If their IMDb pages are to believe, there's not a single cast member that's under 25. I believe it. Yeah, they don't look like any of them are have seen teenage years in quite some time. Yeah, there's, I think his name's Zeke, one of the children of the corn. <laughs> I, I think he's 45, at least. <laughs> yeah, Zane, I think is who you're talking about. The blonde one, yeah. Zane, yes. David Carradine is not the <laughs> oldest person on this cast. What's funny is Zane is played by Aaron Jackson, who I just keep thinking is a member of, like, the Backstreet Boys or something, but that's not him. <laughs> he looks like he could be, I agree. He's got the haircut for it. And one of them has Bjork braids. Yeah, this is a very hip rule (laughs) killer crew, I gotta say. We'll get into it, but yes, I am confused by the costume choices in this film. These are not the Amish. This would be a great field to have a rave if you didn't end up with a scythe in your head by the end of it. (laughs) Yeah, I was most excited, actually, by Ezekiel. I think I've mentioned on this podcast too often to count the TV show Picket Fences. I was a huge fan of that in the 90s, and our Isaac this time around, Ezekiel, is played by Adam Wiley, who was the ginger kid from that show. Didn't know who he was, but yeah, this is the first time we've had a killer kid without an I in the name. It threw me, quite frankly. Ezekiel. There's an I, it's just not printed, it's not a hard I. Yeah, not a hard I sound, it's an E sound. Yeah, that threw me. Ezekiel. We we, we could change it if that would make you feel better. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. That's, there's my boy. Ezekiel. Yeah, okay. That, now it's starting to feel like a corn movie. God knows there's no (laughs) other consistency in this series. Arnie, let's get into it. Give him the plot. We'll figure out what part five is all about. Before I get into the plot summary, I just have to ask, is this still Nebraska? I don't know. I was hoping you could tell. I I don't think so. (laughs) I mean, it's still being filmed in L.A. as the past three have been. There are palm trees at one point, so I'm like, nah, can't be Nebraska. (laughs) I googled Divinity Falls and found nothing. A group of six teenagers are in the great cornland of Divinity Falls, wherever that is, Mm -hmm. having come to spread the ashes of their dead friend Kurt... Because all suicide victims want to be spread in a cornfield. (laughs) Is he from Divinity Falls? I don't know. (laughs) So many questions about this setup. This setup, yeah. All right, just get into it. I'll bite my tongue. Most broken up about this is Kier, played by future Ghost Rider star Eva Mendes. And I gotta say, no one in the world has this name, Kier. (laughs) I've drank Kier before. It's actually quite delicious, but no, not the name. Sounds like one of Thor's buddies, Kier. (laughs) It does. But in town, two of the teens are killed by a group of children led by the strange Ezekiel, played by Picket Fence's Adam Wiley. The other four teens' car breaks down after a skid and then is burned by the children, stranding them in Divinity Falls. But it's revealed that Allison, played by Stacy Galena, has a tie to the town. Her brother Jacob lives here on the same commune as Ezekiel. 
Abused by their father, Jacob left to spend his life in worship of he who walks behind the rose. There he's been given a bride, and soon his first child will be born. As tomorrow is to be Jacob's 18th birthday, Allison goes to visit him, though it requires her to convince cult leader Luke, played by David Carradine. When she sees Jacob, though, he gives her a book in which an inscription shows him asking for her help. On his 18th birthday, he's to be cast into a pit of eternal flame in service of he who walks behind the rose, and Jacob isn't ready to die. Allison, her friend Greg, played by Alexis Arquette, and their friend Ty, played by Greg Vaughn, try to rescue Jacob, but Kier sees it the other way. She's become enamored with he who walks behind the rose and willingly sacrifices herself to the corn god, thinking it will reunite her with Kurt. Jacob refuses to sacrifice himself and is taken hostage and knifed by Ezekiel, who, it's revealed, is possessed by he who walks behind the rose. Luke is actually a corpse that Ezekiel has been animating through magic as a figurehead for the children to follow. In the fight, Greg and Ty are killed, but Allison is able to throw Ezekiel into the fire pit and then throw fertilizer, I think, maybe gasoline, in after her, and the explosion kills the corn god. And after the film's climax, we see Allison is adopting Jacob's baby, who has the flame of he who walks behind the rose in his eyes, as credits roll. I'm confused by a lot in Children of the Corn 5, <laughs> but none so much as the way that this movie begins and then begins Thank you. again and then begins again and begins yes. again. There are four beginnings, none of which seem to have anything to do with one another. The first shot of this movie is of a hand in slow motion reaching down in a cornfield and crushing roses. Who's the hand? Who's the road? What? Why? <laughs> yes, that never comes back. Or I missed it if it did. I think it is a metaphor for beauty lost in the cornfield. Okay, I thought it was like, to these people, the rose is a weed that must be extracted. I thought it was a statement, except those were not child hands doing that. That was clearly adult hands. I think feminine. I think it was probably Allison. Okay, yeah. I don't know what they were going for with this. So much stretching going on here. Are you doing a 5K after this? <laughs> hey, it is a Children of the Corn movie. It is always a mad dash to try and get to that 80-minute mark. But then afterwards, we have, well, a more familiar scene. Something that I understand, at least. A small boy walking up to a bonfire in a cornfield. It's got green flames in the fire. They zap him. And, yeah, that's got to be Hubie, right? This is going to be our evil little kid under the control of Hubie. Yeah, I pretty much got that. I do like the green effect. I mean, it's obviously very cheaply done, but there's something about green animated flame over orange real flame that actually adds a creepiness and it's distinct. It's actually recognizable as it comes back throughout the film. So while I still don't get the rose, I completely get this fire scene and how it tells me how Ezekiel was given the power. Why Ezekiel is given the power? He just happened to walk upon the flame. My question is, why do we have to then jump a year later? <laughs> to kill some anonymous farmers who are mad about their cows getting their throats slit. What is this to me? <laughs> we never see cows getting their no. throats slit later on, just like we never see roses being weeded out of the cornfields later. These characters don't have names. We don't know. Them dying doesn't seem to benefit anyone. It just, I guess all it established is that that child that got zapped 
within a year created an army because what comes for them on the farm at first appears to be just a boy and the farmer comes out with the shotgun he's levitated he's burnt to a crisp by lightning but then the wife gets it from about a dozen other kids who all have you know various cutlery we've seen before and instantly we are just six minutes in but when i see that farmer levitated and then struck by sith lightning somebody got a budget for this film I don't know who, I don't know why, they spent more on that one shot than I think they spent on the entire last film. And then, because I wasn't disoriented enough, blow-up dolls! <laughs> All the way through the cornfields. We have two characters who we don't know who they are, Laszlo and Charlotte, driving in a blue Pontiac on a country road to Divinity Falls, taping up blow-up dolls to gas pumps and signage. I think I really need to do this at whatever convention I go to next, is we do a bonus podcast that people who attend the convention can only <laughs> find by following the way the blow-up dolls point. <laughs> It's the weirdest sexual scavenger hunt ever. You know what I realized upon seeing this? It seems so weird because with a slasher film, yeah, the horny teen cliche. We haven't really had that. That hasn't been a thing. But now we are going to get right away. Here's our group of kids that are going to get slashed up throughout this film. Yeah, it's always been professionals before. It was a tabloid reporter, a doctor, a wannabe doctor. This time, I presume they're in college. They're only doing this because their friend died. So, all right. The friend died because he killed himself. <laughs> but the cover story was a bungee jumping accident. Right. Because bungee and... They actually say this bungee jumping seems so safe <laughs> i also have a problem that kurt was dating kerr yeah i hate that name let's just call her eva mendez because that's all she is to me <laughs> Kier, what kerr whatever you want to call her it's eva mendez and they decided to spread kurt's ashes and kurt it's just troubling because we never see him we never get a flashback or even a story that matters <laughs> no it takes a little bit for me to even realize which one of these women was dating him because there's six people going to scatter the ashes three guys three girls that's a perfect hookup recipe right i mean this is like the big chill without <laughs> you really are gonna compare these <laughs> big chill well I'm shaking, that is true. I'm a little bit concerned at, at the start of this. Yeah, but the big chill without the Meg Tilly. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I, I, I don't know how to respond to that. There are so many ways to strand juveniles in a creepy town. It's a age-old formula. All you gotta do is have a blown-up tire. They're headed to a concert. They're headed to a <laughs> rave. She's headed to go meet her brother. There's so many ways to do it. The fact that there is this backstory about a young man who was their friend that killed himself and only one person knows, but they're all going to his favorite bar, which is in a podunk town that smells like burnt popcorn that he's not from. Is that where they were going to dump his ashes at the bar? Yeah, it, there is a line said that, aha, I see it. This must be where the blow-up dolls were coming. That's his favorite <laughs> bar. Which is weird because then he was dating a 17-year-old and obviously he could drink. Or perhaps at this bar they don't card you. <laughs> I didn't see any carding going on, but yeah, there's a lot of weirdness and inconsistency. Again, none of these actors are actually underage, so it's not really a legal problem. I'm having a problem that I'm expected to believe that they're, what, 20, 19 years old? Yes, this movie's lacking in verisimilitude. That's what I agree with. That's what I want. Walked away from, yes. 
And poor Kurt. I mean, the kids skid out and Eva Mendez, who supposedly loved him so much, is like, ooh, Kurt's all over me. I need to go wash up. End of the Kurt storyline. Well, no, we'll find out about the suicide <laughs> later on. But yeah, like that's the buildup for dumping ashes. Nope, they get all poured over the ex-girlfriend. I guess this is some stab at 90s irony, Tarantino humor, like Miramax. This is the same company that gave us Pulp Fiction. It's the same company that gave us Scream. These people are meant to be witty and irreverent. So you're saying spilling Kurt's ashes is the equivalent of shooting Marvin in the head? I think that that must have been a discussion someone had at some point. But, again, so much cleaner ways of doing all of this. Uh, yeah, you didn't need Kurt. I th the only reason to have Kurt is if you're having a story about teen suicide. And ultimately, there's that discussion. It comes up with Allison and her brother. It comes up for Eva Mendez. I'm thinking that maybe at some point this movie was a much more direct take on teens committing suicide. And this was the first of many characters struggling with that. But whatever they started out trying to do, that's it's barely here now. I would go with that if the Children of the Corn were killing their 18-year-old members and making it look like Suicide's Heather style. I'd go with that. But yeah, here I'm making all these notes about Kurt's backstory, thinking this is going to figure in somewhere. Wasted ink. Yeah, I thought maybe they were going to try to do something with Suicide. Eva Mendez essentially is going to commit suicide. She's going to buy into this cult and jump into the fire, but it doesn't feel like there's any payoff. It doesn't feel like she was struggling with her boyfriend's suicide. And like, I don't even get why she buys into this cult and kills herself by the end of this film. No, we know she's going to die. We know she's no last girl. When she's there in high heels and she can't walk a mile, her boyfriend is spilled all over her and all she's concerned about is how she looks. And yeah, we know that she's the vain bubblehead that always gets killed in every kind of slasher movie. I'm trying to figure out these types. I can only presume that we had the blow-up doll set up because A, somebody thought it was funny, and B, they wanted to get to kills early. The first car has already been taken out. As they were tying up the last blow-up doll, I guess Charlotte thought she was hungry and needed to go steal some corn <laughs> from a, a field that had a no trespassing sign, and that's what brings Ezekiel and his gang upon them, and we get some kills really right away. Why did Charlotte have to go eat? They're going to be in a bar in 20 minutes. She couldn't wait for the nachos and bad alcohol. None of this really makes sense. I mean, I guess the corn is that good. We The strain, it's just delicious. So you can't resist. Hey, I live near a pretty corn rich area and I myself have never pilfered ears of corn, but I may or may not be related to someone who used to regularly rob corn from a cornfield because it was that good. But we did cook it. <laughs> I was surprised by this. I'm trying to keep track of who is who. And yeah, pretty quick, we get a couple of kills that are so meaningless, even Ezekiel's pissed about them. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, you could have just let him get away. They might have friends that are going to come looking for him. Yeah, this is completely unmotivated. These children of the corn this time, they're very property driven. I mean, Ezekiel, for the first half of the movie, basically just keeps telling people you're on private property. And the penalty is death. And so, yeah, poor Laszlo and his girl, whose name doesn't even matter, are killed really quickly. 
Right. But they're a death, and this movie knows it's about quotient and body count, and so, yeah, one gets an axe, one gets her face slashed. It didn't do anything for me. I guess if you just needed any kind of kill, it'll get you through until the next one. It's a little ways before we see another death. It is worth mentioning, Laszlo is played by Frank Zappa's kid, Ahmet. And the girl with the Bjork braids, as I call her, she's referred to in the credits as Drill Girl for how she appears in the climax, is also a Zappa kid, Diva. But I'm kind of going with this. We got a couple of kills, and then the rest of the gang gets to the bar. We've already mentioned endlessly Eva Mendez, but more of a chameleon in this group is Alexis Arquette, who is looking pretty straight-laced, almost a little bit Stephen Baldwin with a goatee. Oh, that awful goatee. Yeah, I was surprised. I did not recognize him at first. You know, after that Sometimes They Come Back movie, he was looking awfully effeminate in that members-only jacket. I thought that he might be further along his path, but no, actually, he's the funny one, right? He's the one that you know is going to die because he's always got jokes and he's rude and he's pining for the girl that will have nothing to do with him. We know he's dead meat here, but we know he's going to hang around and be the entertaining one. And I thought he fit the part pretty well. Yeah, I didn't realize it was even him. This is coming two years after. Sometimes they come back. This is the same year that he would appear as a humorous goth in Bride of Chucky. So yeah, to see him play the lovelorn straight guy... He pulls it off. He's fine. You know, he, he doesn't surprise me one way or the other. It was disappointing because I did say last week I was really looking forward to another hammy Alexis Arquette performance. I was hoping he'd be the bad guy this time. And so to see him turn in a bland performance... It was a letdown. Yeah, you know, I, I recognize he's supposed to be the jokester here. He's the clown because I understand the mechanics of joke telling. And even when jokes don't work, I could understand it was supposed to be a joke. And that's how I'm understanding most of what he's saying. It <laughs> doesn't work at all. This isn't a funny script. But they're attempting something at humor. But yeah, he doesn't have that charisma that he did in Sometimes They Come Back, which is a weird thing to say. I'm pining for Sometimes They Come Back. <laughs> yes, all right. I came really close to recommending that movie just for his performance. So I was hoping for more of that. Whatever that is, I didn't think it was that <laughs> glorious, but I recognize that I paid attention to it. I pay attention to him here. I think that most of these are types. We're in a very familiar horror scenario. The surprise to me is that there's no postmodernism to it. That this is coming two years after Scream from the same company that gave us Scream. These are very hipster kids who seem to know a lot about 90s culture, and yet they don't know that they're in a very formulaic slasher movie when they're walking into this bar full of townspeople that give them the evil eye. I, I'm surprised at how little they don't know about what a bad night they have in store for themselves. But I know because they're seeing a bunch of horror icons. I may not be getting what I want out of Alexis Arquette, but I don't know if you guys recognized him. This guy choked the fuck out of me last year, so I'm going to remember Kane Hodder as the bartender. Seriously, when he poses choking you, it fucking hurts. He does not play around. I, I don't know who this is. I'm not a horror guy. What's he been in? Well, he is Jason, the Jason from okay. like 6 through 10, the most common Jason. That's what he's best known for. Probably why I never don't recognize his face. He's got a mask on in all those films. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't recognize him, Arnie, and I didn't recognize him. But when I saw his name in the credits, I, I stood to attention. He's a big motherfucker, and he's a stunt man first and foremost. But because of his role as Jason, I mean, I've seen him 
unmasked in a lot of stuff like hatchet series mostly wears a mask there too but he has a lot of horror cameos he was in wishmaster i also recognize fred williamson who i primarily knew from dusk till dawn that's where i was introduced to him but he had a lot of 70s roles as well if you didn't get richard roundtree for your black exploitation movie you usually called fred is pretty much what it is he was black caesar and i didn't see many of his black exploitation movies but he was a football star who had a second career in the movies their callbacks, they are, it was a trendy thing to do in the 90s, Tarantino, Scream, all of that. You make reference to retro entertainers, you dust up old stars and you bring them back for new transformations. It's not doing a whole lot for me, but uh, I at least appreciate that I'm in familiar ground and seeing familiar faces. It makes it feel more like a slightly above average horror film. I already brought up Wishmaster, but that kind of thing where it's a horror film being made by people who know horror and will put stuff in there that only the Fangoria crowd will get, at least they're playing to me, their base audience. Yeah, I agree with that. They are trying to entertain. This is going to be better than a husk, but will it be a pad of butter or will it be a kernel of corn? That's what I'm wondering here. I'm seeing the setups. I'm enjoying the mood as much as I can, but what I'm not enjoying is the focal point. The obvious last girl is someone that I don't think worked again for good reason. Why did she get this part? Who is this Allison? And why is she saddled with this morose story about a runaway brother who worships Hubie? I think that this is unfortunate wound to this film that she is our Nev Campbell. Couldn't agree more. She is really terrible. I mean, you have this cast of all these people that we know. Why not make Eva Mendez the main girl or Hell, even the Zappa girl, this Stacy Galena, first of all, I think she's the oldest one here. <laughs> I looked her up on IMDb. She was 30 at the time of filming, and she must be a smoker or a crack user or something because she looks 50. Yeah, the idea that I know she's an older sibling to the teenage runaway that is turning 18 that day, but how much older are we expected to believe? Five years? It's impossible for me to suspend that belief to think that She's, yeah, an early 20-something. And she has zero charisma. None. She also has this mopey, morose storyline. Now, I'm really confused by this whole thing because I thought I knew what movie this was going to be. Texas Chainsaw, right? Yes. Kids driving through a town, broke down, and stranded with a bunch of crazies who try to kill them. But then it comes up, Allison's brother lives in this town? That was like, my head did an Exorcist 360. I was so whiplash-induced by that revelation. Why not have that be the reason why they came here? Why do the whole Kurt thing? Why not say that three friends went with Allison to support her as she had a reunion with her brother who wrote her a letter or something like that? If that's the story they want to tell, that she is reuniting someone from the past that she has guilt over abandoning with an abusive parent. Yeah, there's many ways to do this. Have the parent, they say that he died recently, have that be at the funeral. Have that be the motivator here, but... Yes, if you're going to have a dead person be the motivator, maybe a third brother killed themselves after suffering guilt from the abuse. Something. I really thought, for part of it, I'm like, am I missing it? Is Kurt Stacy's brother? I never get that. I think Stacy's only brother is Jacob. I thought they were going to tie this into part three. Maybe that's just wishful thinking because that's been the best one thus far. But yeah, they're talking about it, this abusive dad and running away. 
I, I really thought, okay, are they going to try to tie this all together? Is this that dad, that bioengineer that lived in the trailer in Gatlin? Did he have other kids besides Joshua, Jacob, and Allison who perhaps ran away? Joshua, Jacob, Jingleheimer, and Smith. <laughs> Again, I, I go back to that reference of each director seems to be taking elements that we saw in other movies, but then taking it and creating entirely new storylines, new killer kids, change it. Some don't even use Hubie. There's some freedom here to kind of do, as long as you stick a cornfield in there, I think you can get away with anything. A scythe, a cornfield, a kid or two, and, and that's all you need. And one of the things that threw me were the kids in these cornfields, you know, when used to kind of this Amish look for the majority of the films, at least, you know, the old timey look here, I guess, because they're runaways. That's why they have Bjork braids. And it just looks like, hey, just wear whatever you wore to school that day. You got a hoodie on, you got some jeans. There's one that's really tall. Yeah, I think he's got a J name. What is it? Jared. More J's. So many J's. There's something, maybe because, are there any scenes that take place? I guess there is a couple scenes that take place at night, but most of this is during the day. It feels cheap to me. You, Arnie, you said they spent all their budget on that lightning scene at the beginning. I think so, because the rest of this feels cheap. Just the costuming and, and the way it's shot. I very rarely have an eye to catch really bad filming, but after their car burns up and they decide to go squat in some house, there's a PA to the right of the house. I rewound and counted. One, two, three, four kids in front of the house. There's a fifth guy in like a members only jacket to the right of the house. Even better at one point when Ezekiel is taking Allison to meet Luke, David Carradine's character. Ezekiel walks off camera, supposedly opening the door. Allison walks in front of a mirror. You see Ezekiel just standing on his mark, <laughs> waiting for the cuts in the mirror. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of just bad filmmaking here we're like do they not notice do they not care but despite all of it i will give ethan wiley a little bit of credit kind of i mean he's moving the camera all over the place it's going on its side at 90 degree angles and then doing a 180 he's attaching it to the actress's head as she's rocking back and forth in a rocking chair then putting it on the book so we can see like the schnoz cam and things i mean he's really almost matching Darren Aronofsky, who would do Pi <laughs> the same year. Stop with this. Come on. With he, some of those same kind of camera moves. Just because he moves the camera doesn't mean it's Aronofsky. I get what you're saying, Arnie. I guess I could appreciate that things are spinning around and it's somewhat different than your standard horror film. Yeah, the cinematographer worked on Pee Wee's Playhouse. Seriously. And that's what it feels like. <laughs> Yeah, he did Night of the Demons. That's got the same kind of crazy, fun fairy tale style. Uh, UHF, the the Weird Al movie. Yeah, <laughs> he's worked with a lot of zany people and has a camera that has energy. And yeah, I agree. This movie has energy in part because of this camera work. Yeah, this is Ethan Wiley. He is the writer and director of House and House Two movies that are about ten years old at this point, and uh, kind of combined goofy horror, midnight movie. Kind Kind of scary, kind of not. I think he's going for the same thing here, and I think it's the right choice. The last movie, they tried to play it straight. The first two movies, they definitely tried to play it straight. Here, 
And the third one, I think there's goodwill in that they're smiling. They're winking at us. And I think the irony, the, the fact that there's flubs in here kind of goes along with the playfulness of the mood. I never get the sense that they're trying to scare us. I get the sense that they're trying to make us giggle and jump. Yeah, I, I'm not scared. I don't know how much I'm giggling or jumping either. Well, I was about to giggle because when they get to that house, everybody pairs up the way I think. Greg and Allison are kind of maybe into each other a little, but they don't do anything. And Kier and Ty hook up, and then I... get a bad flashback to last week. I think there's a dream sequence. She's hearing something at the window. Eva Mendez is walking with only a sheet to the window, and I make a decision. If there's an Eva Mendez titty shot, this movie gets a green arrow. <laughs> there is no titty shot, so listeners stay in suspense. Guess I'm gonna have to go watch Training Day again, because not in this film. Now, this is the same house. This is the farmer's house from the third beginning of this film, right? Like, they're just crashing there for the night? I thought this was, yeah. The strange thing is, usually in a scenario like this, this limits the movie to this one night. They break into a house. They stay in a house they shouldn't be. The beds are made like they're being expected. We think that the townspeople and the children of the corn are going to take this opportunity to ritually sacrifice them or something for the rest of the night. What's weird is that the night is almost over after this scene. Yes, something's at the window. They scream. They hear a harvester turn on in the fields and go out and find the body parts of Laszlo and Charlotte, a Fargo reference, I think, and then it's over. Then they have the opportunity to leave. It's the next morning. The sheriff thinks they murdered their friends and still wants them to get on the 8 a.m. bus. (laughs) Get on that bus. Yeah, get out of here. I know you're guilty. You got drunk and you, you, out of neglect or intentionally, let your friends get chewed up and I don't want your kind here. I mean, worst sheriff ever. I think the sheriff is on the payroll of the group. I mean, he wasn't too helpful to them earlier. He obviously doesn't want strangers in this town. I think for two-thirds of this movie, Sheriff Skaggs is complicit with Ezekiel and Luke. We saw it in Children of the Corn 2. We saw it in Texas Chainsaw. Yes, it's what you would expect. I mean, this is not a town of children. There are many adults here walking the streets. If they're here, it must be because they're still obeying Hubie and the kids, right? So, yes, there's no sheriff that thinks he could be patrolling the streets and not know that he's harboring a a corn monster and killer children, right? But yet, it's revealed in the third act. He's <laughs> just been sitting around waiting for somebody to lodge a complaint so he can bring that Luke and right down. Yeah, he hasn't been able to get a warrant. There's people showing up dead. I'm pretty sure you can get a warrant at that point. Just the cows with the slit throats should be enough, really. Yeah, worst sheriff ever. He, yeah, he's too busy trying to pull his best uh, Tarantino impression, talking about, yep, this foot looks like it matches that person. Talking about severed feet and dead bodies. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're going for that humor. It was a 90s trendy thing here. I just don't think Fred Williamson is a very good actor, comedic or dramatic, and these these moments are cringeworthy. You mentioned Luke. We haven't discussed much about David Carradine, but this is sort of the lead-in to his introduction. Allison is not going to leave until she finds her brother. She thinks he's here. Who she didn't know she was coming to see. Yes, they came here to celebrate a man that was in an ash can, and she now is having a reunion with her long-lost brother, who hates her for leaving her with a drunk. 
So I didn't miss anything. This is just a crazy sequence of events that does not build. No, yeah, the screenwriters miss something, yes. When they're at the bar, they complain about the smell, and they're like, oh, it's these people burning this corn, and they worship someone like he who walks behind the water, and she's like, you mean he who walks behind the rose? My brother left for that cult. That is the only reason she knows her brother is there. I used to work in Decatur, Illinois, where they have a soy plant. That shit do stink when they're burning that. I'm just going to say, I know it helps the economy and all, but yuck. But regardless, Ezekiel is willing to take her. He's got a very terrible poker face. He tries to throw her off the trail. She's like, no, I know he's here. He's like, okay, but first let me take you to our master. This is really where we learn that Ezekiel is not the main bad kid. He's the Malachi. He's the second in command. The real child of the corn this time is David Carradine, which... I love David Carradine. I just for the way he delivers all his lines with that weird lisp, but I'm totally thrown because I'm like, wait, no, this is children. This isn't yes. the 50 year old man running a cult of children. Grasshopper, you couldn't have pulled this off 30 years ago. <laughs> I was really confused by his role in all of this, but you know what? I kind of started to get like, uh, David Koresh kind of vibe going here. Like, he was running the cult, and Ezekiel was his right-hand man. I went with him being the big bad, especially because he's David Carradine. By the time we get to David Carradine, it's only 40 minutes in an 80-minute movie, but I'd forgotten we were waiting for him. I was excited by his name in the credits, and then spent the movie waiting for him, and when he finally shows up, this was not the role I expected him to be playing. Imagine watching this like I did, where I missed his name in the opening <laughs> credits, and all of a sudden he shows up. I'm like, huh? Yeah, it was a stunner. I, again, and no reason really to bring him in here. He's still six years away from Kill Bill. He's not really... I don't know what he's doing here. It seems like an odd choice. He needs to pay the rent. It, it, it really seems like his contract said he wouldn't stand up for the role. He will <laughs> never have to leave the chair. The moment he leaves the chair, he leaves the set, because... That's how it happens. He does his entire performance from this rocking chair, and when they pull him out of the chair, he disappears in a flash of light, never to be seen again. Yeah, his face splits open, and he, he has a flamethrower or something for his skull. It's, we'll get there, but before he has his dramatic exit, yeah, he appears to be Hubie. He appears to be the head of the cult, or at least the one that Hubie listens to. I'm thinking that I'm okay with it. Even though it is not consistent with any corn before, I like him as a malevolent force much more than really many of the kids we've had before, or even Ezekiel here in this movie. I think they should have stuck with him, and I'm wondering why he ends up being such a non-threat in this movie. I, I think it's funny that you complain about lack of consistency. There, there's been no consistency among any of these films. They could throw in whoever they want at this point, and I'm just going to go with it because there, there is no central storyline. I think, as you said earlier, as long as there's some stalks of corn, it, you could call it the children of the corn film. Well, there has been one consistency, and that is it's always about kids trying to kill their parents, and this is why would the kids celebrate Luke? Luke owns the property. He owns the silo where Hubie lives. We'll find that out later, but I think that it's strange that we have this fight for power, that Luke is sort of in charge, and on the sidelines, Ezekiel is secretly wanting to covet his place as the head of... Is it a cult? Are these a cult of children? Is it just Divinity Falls? I don't know. I feel like this is the most shapeless of all of the killer children cults we've seen. Yeah, you know, I feel like... 
this was supposed to be a much darker movie. They're suicide. This is a cult of runaway children. Like, that could be somewhat dark, if, especially if you know what happens to a lot of runaways. This seems like they want to go somewhere dark, or maybe there was that idea at the beginning with suicides and runaways and, you know, lost children. Mm. Yeah, a suicide cult. The Apple White thing had just happened, too. So you're right. They really could have been going for that. But they go for this weird comedy version that doesn't work. Yeah, there's a number of things I don't really get. I mean, it's revealed that Luke is dead and Ezekiel is puppeting him because the kids won't follow Ezekiel. They'll follow Luke, which a couple of things. I wonder if there was this cult of children led by Luke before. And then when Ezekiel got the flame a year earlier, he took it over, but also it makes Ezekiel the most impotent of all the lead children of the corn because he's the first one to need a figurehead. An adult, yeah. The kids have always been about taking their own birthright, and here he's letting adults stand in for him. That It makes no sense. I have to believe this is compromised script writing. That yes, they started out talking about suicide and suicide cults, and this motivation of this kid who killed himself in a bungee jump uh, suicide that uh, brought them to this town. Did he connect the bungee to his neck? Is that how he did that? I can't even, <laughs> I would love to have seen that footage. I don't know how I know how you can die from a bungee cord, but I don't know how you could intentionally do that. That It, it makes no sense. But be that as it may, compromised as it is, I just want to say I'm not hating this. I still think that there's some kind of fun. Maybe if you have a nostalgia for the 90s and the period, it helps. But as a plot, yeah, this is all confusion and muddle. I'm missing the kills, though. We started off with quite a few, but the moment we begin this whole brother storyline, I mean, we had four deaths in 15 minutes, and then we go like a good half an hour or so before we get to a fifth death and that really near the end when Jacob decides not to kill himself there's a lot in the middle here where like Jacob gives Allison a book that Eva Mendez reads and is really taken by the entire idea of he who walks behind the rose and meeting with Luke and meeting with Jacob and all of this what happened to this fun movie we started with? Now, all we need is a few dream sequences, and I'm in last week's movie. It has gotten confused. They, she, the brother is there. Not only is David Carradine there, the brother is there. He doesn't want to be there. He gives her promotional material that he scrawls a secret help message in. And so, what is she to do with that? I mean, why can't he walk out the door? It doesn't seem like it would have been that big a deal to get away. He's been given a child bride. He's going to be an expectant father. Does he not know what he's expected to do on his 18th birthday? He knows, and he doesn't want to. And he does walk out the door. They send some people after him, but yeah, they're like, oh yeah, you're free to go. Of course, why would they even say you're free to go when everybody in that entire group except Jacob knows, yeah, we're going to get you. Yeah, what they should have been doing is, while this is going on, is be giving us some fun kills. There are some out-of-towners. Come on, outlanders. Those people gotta die. You give us a David Arquette. You give us that blonde guy, Ty. Who cares about Ty? Even Kier doesn't care about Ty. It was a one-night stand for her. So, yeah, why don't you just give us some fun deaths in the meantime as the group wanders around the town waiting for Allison to be done with her meeting with her brother? They can be having that stuff if that's really important 
important to the story they want to tell. But this is a cheesy slasher movie. Don't forget that. Don't lose sight of why we're here. And you're right. The deaths dry up in the middle. Yeah, I mean, there's no ticking clock going on. We do know that Jacob's birthday is the next day, and if we've seen the previous ones, we know what that means. Although, oddly enough, did you notice it actually ends up being the same day? She He says, my birthday is tomorrow, and then a couple hours later, he's at the ceremony. There was no night. I think maybe he has to do it on... I don't fucking know. I'm not going to give this movie an excuse. <laughs> but, yeah, there's nothing going on. If the whole plot is we have to rescue Jacob before the cult kills him, well, they fail in that. So that's a bad ticking clock. That's like trying to defuse the bomb and it goes off. And the other way to do a ticking clock in these slasher films is you're whittling down your cast until the character you care about most is the one left. Except Alice is the character I care about least. That is kind of true. They make this big deal about Jacob needing to sacrifice himself in the silo to the eternal flame. Why? Because as soon as he leaves, like, Ezekiel's flipping his shit and, like, who's the next that's closest to their 18th birthday? Like, acting like there is some (laughs) urgency to have to sacrifice someone that day. Why? They haven't established anything that you need, like, once every three months, someone to jump into the eternal flame to keep it going. I don't understand what's going on. (laughs) If so, that's not quite an eternal flame. (laughs) (laughs) It's a fickle flame. It could go out at any minute if it gets tired of these kids. If you don't feed me. Well, I am going by the logic that this movie is giving me, which isn't much. Yeah, that's a mistake. I I think that there is real confusion here. It's best to just enjoy the fun kills when we get them. The problem is that a lot of these kills aren't fun. When Eva Mendes shows up and says, okay, I want to be with my dead ex-boyfriend. Am I supposed to be enjoying that? Is that a laugh? Because it's comical in how stupid it is, but I think it's played fairly dramatically straight. I agree. I mean, I think Eva Mendez is giving her best I'm scared performance right there. I'm scared, I'm depressed, and yet I'm going to go through with it. But when she jumps into the fire, she jumps like she's jumping into the pool. She pulls her knees up. There's no scream. There's no, I'm burning. (laughs) There's no, it's hot. It's literally like she's at the pool. She's got so many options. Yeah, she's got a dead boyfriend, but there's the blonde guy she came with. There's the blonde guy that's been flirting with her that is... Yeah, Zane, who's just looking up that skirt as she's climbing that ladder. So was I. <laughs> I just don't see her as someone that is ready to end it all here. It's it's a strange way to sell her death. I get that maybe you wanted to have that turn if you can write it that way, but this wasn't the character to do that, and this wasn't the moment to do that. Someone needed to die, but not this way, not her. I would have liked to have seen Allison and Kier reversed, where Allison is the depressed one because she's so mopey anyway. Let her jump in the fire and let Eva Mendez, and I'm not just saying this because it's Eva Mendez, but because it's a more interesting character, be our last girl. Yeah, there should be some fear. If you're going to do this with Eva Mendez or with Allison, whoever, if someone's going to start committing suicide, jumping in this flame, there should be a fear that that's going to happen to all the characters we've been watching here, this group of teens. Like, that should be our fear, that they're all slowly getting brainwashed and jumping in. I mean, Eva Mendez jumps in 
does anyone know that she did that? Like, do they ever ask about her? It just seems like, here's the thing. They talk about, we got to stick together. Here's this this family theme that they bring up, because I guess Jacob and Allison are family, and they didn't stick together. They talk about how they need to stick together, but then as soon as they get in this cult town, like, they all split up. Like, Eva goes, talks to Zane, Greg goes, and he finds a bar. Like, none of them stick together. I, there's no danger, though. Like, why did she even commit suicide when it's never brought up by any characters no one grieves for her hard variables are needed we needed to either know that these were teenagers that could be sucked into the cult and seduced into jumping into the silo or they were outlanders who were a threat to exposing the children and thus must be killed before they leave town one of the two but they're just kind of wandering around and you get the sense that if they ever did make that bus Nobody here in Divinity Falls would give a shit. I don't feel like Eva Mendez, it meant a lot for her to sacrifice herself and reunite with her dead boyfriend. I don't get a sense that any of the kids gave a shit about it. And I don't either. No, I don't even think they mention her again. No, it's, yeah, it's, she's forgotten. And really, the climax happens very quickly. We have this moment with David Carradine in which the sheriff has brought Allison. She showed him this coded help cry, so they're going to rescue Jacob. Come on, that was not much of a code i don't know if that was enough to warrant a warrant i'm not sure what motivates the sheriff but <laughs> we've got to get to some kind of action and i'm ready to embrace whatever it may be but yeah we get this kooky almost screaming mad george kill with david carradine's head splitting open it's something was it wasn't a flamethrower inside of him <laughs> the eternal flame there was some kind of gun or apparatus shooting flames except it doesn't burn fred williamson it drills a hole in his head it's all kinds of looney tunes but i liked it i'm willing to take it it's a kernel i can chew yeah and a couple of firemen also die worst firemen ever did they bring water because i that hose has no water in it no pressure at all they never turned it on they all burned up never it was driving me crazy the fire is nice and contained you'd think that would be like the easiest one to put out yeah very very easy yes it's not leaving the inside of the silo really it could burn itself off shut off the oxygen to it it should go out and this is where the cheap budget really begins to show though because a mob of the children start chasing our three characters that mob of children i think i counted five again child labor laws come on no one here is under 30 no though there are children there for this climax ezekiel and that's it there's a lot of girls all of a sudden at the end too that are expected to jump into the flame as well towards the end of this movie right at the end we finally see townspeople we never did before and they really do bring out the kids for a climax but yeah you're right a lot of the ones that are swinging the axes that are doing the killing no they're the 20 somethings they're not who i'm referring to this is drill girl and yeah zane gets a chainsaw and gets the other blonde it's blonde on blonde violence i was wondering if leatherface knew the children of the corn were ripping off his weapon when i see zane pull out the chainsaw i'm like no no you're the wrong hick to be bringing out that weapon wouldn't that be a good crossover? Man, you know, that is right there, a movie I'd much want to see. A Freddy versus Jason, Leatherface versus... The problem is, the Children of the Corn have never established... We got this he who walks behind the rose, but we've never have an identifiable kid figure that can serve as someone on the poster. You know, it's very simple. Give us an icon. They tried that with Josiah. You guys didn't like Josiah, but I feel like that was the direction to go. Here, I'm not worried about Ezekiel. I don't understand what David Carradine was. I don't know how this is supposed to wind up. 
I do have to say, though, I'm shocked because now all the main characters are dying. They've made it 70 minutes into this 80-minute film, and now they just all get picked off one by one. Isn't it with the horror film, a slasher film, isn't it throughout the film they're supposed to get picked off, not all at once? If you're doing it right, but we knew these ones had to die. We knew Ty had to die. He was boring. We knew Greg had to die. He was the funny, annoying one. I do like how Greg dies, though. That is a pretty nice thing. I mean, he sacrifices himself. He doesn't look like he's in a no-win situation. He doesn't look like he's in the point where he has to commit suicide to take out two of the kids with him. Drill Girl, she has a very long drill bit. It's not very wide. I'm not saying I want to get hit with it. It looks like it'll fucking hurt, but it's going to take a lot of holes to kill you. Yeah, yeah, I would get out on that side. If I'm between a drill and a flamethrower underneath a blue Pontiac, I would get out on the drill side and, t- and take my holes. He even steals the flamethrower. So he has the flamethrower. He, instead of using it to burn drill girl and get out, decides to kill himself. Again, there's some story about suicide that this movie was supposed to be about. Yeah, that's the dramatic moment that's happening with Allison and her brother. He's forgiving her as he's dying. He was stabbed and hung in the barn, and now he's going to exonerate and say that, no, she was actually strong or or something. I don't really care because I don't really want her to be the last girl, but he inspires her to fight fire with fire, so this climax is literally about a bag of flaming shit. She's got to get fertilizer. (laughs) with gasoline up that silo and drop it on Hubie. And why does that work? I don't... If the fireman couldn't do it with a water hose, I don't know how this chick does it. It doesn't blow up the silo and it collapses in. It just puts out the fire. That's what I don't get. Does it... I mean, let's describe for the listeners who hopefully haven't watched this film. Okay, describe it for me because (laughs) I don't understand it. Describe it for the viewers, Arnie. What did you see? I saw Allison grab some farm stuff that looked like a can of gasoline and a tarp. Yes, I saw that too. She climbs up this silo where the burning corn is, and she opens the door and looks down, and we see light coming from it, so there's flame there. It's the green fire, so we know it's the same thing that zapped Ezekiel. We know it's Hubie. Well, not necessarily, because we don't get to see it. And during all of this, Ezekiel does attack her with a hook. I mean, this is... He's doing the last-ditch effort to stop her from putting out the fire, and her face starts to glow red as he chokes her. So, there's some magic going on of an indeterminate origin. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if you're making this any easier for those who haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah, because I'm getting more confused. I'm like, so those were post-op effects not just to make her look out of breath. She was literally getting a magic transfusion from Ezekiel? I don't know. Maybe. And then she throws Ezekiel into the fire, which I don't think will hurt him because the movie opened, the second opening, with him becoming embodied by the green fire. But now he's at least, if he may be alive in the green fire, but he's trapped because there's no way out. So she throws her bag of shit and gasoline in. We see the flames rise. She closes the door. That's the end of the flame. And it just goes out. And then for reasons completely unknown, I think she's clumsy. She starts to fall off the silo. Yeah, I think the explosion might have knocked her off temporarily. We kind of saw the same thing, but 
it's inconclusive what it all means, other than I presume that he who, well, he doesn't walk behind the rose. He who hides in the silo has been defeated, and she gets to climb down and tell the little girls, they do get a few little children, that they're not going to have to sacrifice themselves. Again, I wonder if there was a point, at some point, an intention to express an anti- teen suicide message. But these kids look like they don't know what to do with Luke gone. They never even knew Ezekiel was their real leader. Who did? <laughs> but of course, we have to have the twist ending, and we found out, Jacob, congrats, you're a dad. Oh, yes, to the, what, Hubie? I guess. Seems appropriate, maybe. I don't, you know, I knew what they were doing. The sec, I didn't know where we were at first. Allison is knocking on a door. She's walking in. I, I forgot that there was this child bride, Lily. For a second, I didn't know what was going on. Allison, who is, what, we're guessing 18 single mom adopting from a 14 single mom. I don't know if that's an improvement. I think she's supposed to be 23, 24. I think that I'm not going to even guess at what she is, but she's getting the baby because it ties her to the brother that she neglected. And so I know where this is going, right? I'm like, oh, the baby's going to have something. Something with the baby is going to make the baby scary. I even knew it would be fire in the eyes. I don't know why. There's just this long last shot of the baby. And I'm like, come on, let there be fire in the eyes. Just give me the fire in the eyes. Ah, there's the fire in the eyes. Yeah, they're lingering. She's singing Mockingbird. It's like echoey and in slow motion. I'm like, oh, Lord, how long is this going to take? I know you aren't at 80 minutes yet, but (laughs) drag it out in the credits. Don't make me wait for the flaming eyes. Do the Jonah Hex 10-minute credit thing instead of this. Yeah. I think the last movie did that exactly, actually. But yeah, whatever you got to do to stretch it to 80 minutes... Call it a feature. That's what they're doing here, but it's telegraphed a million miles away. But it's a false one. Just like the third movie, we're not going to come back to a killer German cornfield. We're not going to come back to this little baby again. It's not even a newborn. Like every other kid in this Children of the Corn movie, that thing looks like it's about 18 months old. There's no way that's a big newborn baby. Well, what about the roses? (laughs) Oh, wait. (laughs) Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Children of the Corn 5, Fields of Terror? Jacob. No. And and here's the thing. Is this worse than 4? 4 was pretty bad. I get what you were saying with 4, though, Stewart. There was competence. Oh, now you like (laughs) 4. Last week, it was like, you're the worst person in the world for liking this other piece of shit. Now you're like, eh, well, it had something. That's all I ever said, by the way. It just had something going for it. Here's what I'm saying. Yes, I recognize that it had competent filmmaking. The story was still kind of screwed up. This one has a bad story and no competent filmmaking. The kills aren't that great. Just like that last one. I don't know. I can't even decide which one's worse. David Carradine's death versus the Gurney doctor death. That's what it would really come down to for me. This one, man, what a weird, confusing, non-existent story this is. This one's not as boring as the last one, but still, no, there's nothing here. There's one good death, nothing here to chew on. The Man, I I don't know who this would be entertaining to. I'm I'm just going to put it that way. You would have to just be a, I guess, a horror or a slasher junkie where you just like to see red caro syrup thrown all around because there's not much here. This story is baffling to me. I couldn't understand anything that was going on. I wonder if there was a script. Another strong not recommend. I, I don't know if I could put this below four. They're pretty even. They're, this is both the bottom. I was so hopeful after three. We're going to have to do that eventually. We're going to rank all of these. So you think a 
about that. Yes, that's why I'm keeping track. You think about that. <laughs> it could get worse. It always could get worse. We're only halfway through, so yes, we got four more to go. Stuart. Well, it is not a kernel. I definitely, there's nothing here that's really good. But it's not a husk either. I, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. I think that if you have any affection for this retro world here and you like slasher movies, it's watchable. <laughs> I mean, again, none of these corn movies are good. I'm going to give it the pat of butter because it just goes down easy. There's lots of people that you've seen before hamming it up. Sometimes it's amusing. It's never dull. I'm never bored. I guess that's a compliment here, but I'd honestly rather watch this than any Mangler film or any Lawnmower Man film or really most any movie in the Night Shift series. So I call it what you will. I'll call it a pad of butter. Maybe that's a green arrow for you. I, I think if you like those kind of cliched, stupid 90s direct VHS movies, you could do worse. It's definitely not as good as three. I don't think it's anywhere near four or one, but I liked it a lot more than two. And yeah, Jacob, you said that this is possibly contending with the last one for worst. I completely disagree. You said you don't see who this could appeal to unless you just like seeing Cairo syrup thrown all around. Well, I like slasher films. I even enjoy low-rent slasher films, but I want more to it than Caro Sir being splashed around. And like Stuart said, there's something to be said about the comfort of familiar actors. That is something that, I mean, the last one, there were a couple familiar actors, Karen Black and Nomi Watts. It didn't help. So it's not always the case. But here, having Alexis Arquette, Eva Mendez, Fred Williamson... David Carradine, Kane Hodder. I mean, it lets me know these are people who know horror and are having a good time. No horror only by who they cast, not by the actual story being told, I would contend. I would agree with that. Well, they just don't know storytelling at all is the biggest problem. I came really close on this one. I really, whatever I do, red or green, it's weak. I said earlier, if Eva Mendez had given a titty shot, it was going to be green. And I wouldn't just give a movie a green arrow for a nude shot. You wouldn't have given a green arrow to last week if Naomi flashed you some at the end. Yeah, she could show Beaver and that would not help. In fact, it might even make it worse. It's Naomi Watts. But it's because this one was riding the line. And I'm sitting here and after last week, I'm finding myself enjoying this movie on that scale that I discussed last week about, yeah, this isn't great filmmaking, but could this be enjoyable for someone who is looking just for a slasher film? I never expected Children of the Corn to become a slasher film. I always thought this was going to be demon monster horror, but it is a slasher series like Nightmare on Elm Street and those. And so by the absolute lowest of standards, could this one get a recommend? And I was on the fence for so much of this movie. And after the past two weeks, really, three totally, I was just surprised that I was even on the fence. And then this movie got to its clusterfuck of an ending. And it's like, with an ending this unsatisfying and this confusing, I can't recommend this movie. So it's a week not recommend. But man, this is to me the second best of the Children of the Corn films. The first being, what, the first movie? Yeah, that's still the best because of Isaac and Malachi and the creepy vibe they gave. It worked for me as horror. The next three have been just shit. 
and this one was <laughs> at least fertilizer, if not just a big stepping in a pile of cow dung. Isn't it awful what we have to do here? Isn't it just like watching people wade through a river of shit and trying to find a piece of gold in there somewhere? I, these are all bad movies, but I think it's important to let people know what kind of bad movies. You can be bad in several different ways, and I think this is a more fun kind of bad. Yeah, I agree. There's stuff here to enjoy, kind of like 3. I mean, 3 had really inventive kills. Here, you've got stock characters doing stock things if there'd been more kills in the middle if there'd been a better ending this really could have gotten a recommend from me but the way it is it's just an incompetent film and so no it's a not recommend but god am i hopeful for next week because what i have said much to both of your like what the fuck are you talking about every time i defend part one is part one had isaac and malachi well malachi grew up Isaac didn't. He has a hormone growth deficiency. <laughs> and so he's back next Jeez. week with Children of the Corn 666. So we'll finally put it to rest. Is it just the actor or is it the first movie was actually scary and utilized him well? We'll find out when we see what they do with Isaac again. I, it will be happy to see a returning character. I would like to see a little bit of consistency here. Newbie hasn't been enough. So... Hopefully they can do something with him. He did have a creepy presence, but I don't necessarily want to go back to the vibe of the first movie. And in the meantime, if you kind of enjoyed the vibe of Children of the Corn 5, you might also enjoy the vibe of Leprechaun. It also has up-and-coming stars, Jennifer Aniston and such. We released that review to gold-level donors a couple weeks ago, and now this week, Leprechaun 2, which has, well, Clint Howard? Warwick Davis? Wow. Uh, <laughs> I'm stretching for names here. Yeah, it's going to be a simmering debate about is it, could it be better than the original? I mean, that is truly the question of the hour. And I do hope you join us for the show to find out. Again, we're doing Silver Level Donation gets you Lord of the Rings podcast. Gold Level Donation gets you Leprechaun. Platinum gets you both plus the three animated Lord of the Rings films. Find out all the details by heading to nowplayingpodcast.com and clicking the banner at the top. And we thank you in advance for your support. So, Stuart, Jacob, thank you for joining me. So we will be back next week, Malachi. We'll be back next week. I'm leaving now. I'm gonna go find some people and tell them about what's happening here in Gatlin. I don't think they'll believe me at first. I don't think I believe it myself. But they will. Eventually. You guys all belong in an asylum somewhere. Looney Ben. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing. Congratulations, Tiger. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You know what's all you need now that The Sopranos is dead and buried? <laughs> Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another film based on Stephen King's books and short stories. This is the word of he who walks by in the rose. We do this work for Shining Shadow. At our sister podcast, BooksAndNachos.com, you can hear Arnie's reviews of the original Stephen King books and short stories on which these films are based. You look it up. You still remember how to read, don't you? In the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find many more reviews of Stephen King films, including Maximum Overdrive, The Mangler, Sometimes They Come Back, The Lawnmower Man, Carrie, Salem's Lot, The Shining, and more. 
Find dozens of Stephen King movie reviews at nowplayingpodcast.com. Well, these kids watch too many horror flicks. Also at our website, you can find reviews of film series such as The Avengers, Star Trek, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Silent Night, Deadly Night, Scream, Transformers, Robocop, and hundreds more. Movies are filled with violence, blood, Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Can't you for one moment conceive of something in this universe that's larger than you? You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Two hundred dollars. Uh-uh, How much? Thirteen thousand hundred dollars. Thirteen thousand hundred dollars. Uh, okay, two thousand. Now Playing's Children of the Corn retrospective series is edited by Heath, Casper, and Arnie. I don't want to be the one in charge when the heads start doing 360s and a hurling pea soup. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. He filled me with the words. The film discussed in this podcast is the property of its original copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Now Playing podcast is not affiliated with the makers or distributors of these films. That won't matter to Isaac and Malachi. They'll take it as a sign. You speak for the others or only for yourself? The opinions expressed in Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. I am the word and the giver of his laws. Disobedience to me is disobedience to him. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2014, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. So what do we do about the children? Tell their story. Let the healing begin. It's not too late for that, is it? No. I was really looking forward to another hammy Alexis Arquette performance. I was hoping he'd be the bad guy this time. And yeah, he doesn't have that charisma that he did in Sometimes They Come Back, which is a weird thing to say. Yeah, I mean, I don't I'm wanna... fighting for Sometimes yeah, They Come Back. Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to tear... I recommended that movie just for his performance. You actually didn't. But if you go back to the tape, you didn't, but you thought about it. Yes, all right.